Okay, I guess let's get rolling. Uh, a few things as we begin. We are going to continue in the spirit realm, continue from last week. So what, what, what happened last week is uh, we were, of course, talking about the foundational stuff, establishing the reality of the spirit realm and the power of the spirit realm. And then there were some very good questions about uh, Satan and his kingdom that took a lot of time. And then there had to be kind of this decision, do we talk about then the implications of it all or do we continue into the New Testament teaching as it relates to our, uh, our associations or our relationship to the spirit realm. So I actually skipped that part and, and kind of what I did is I built, the, I built the, the, the bottom layer and I built the top layer but I didn't give you the middle layer. And uh, you know, you've got the foundation and you've got the application but you don't actually have the teaching in between and that's really important. As a matter of fact it is the most important part and the part that is going to kind of set the tone. We, when we hit application like we did last week and uh, I, you know, I wanted to go on to that because that kind of is where the rubber meets the road. That's where we talk about um, practical... Uh, You there, Tom? You there? We're just getting started. Perfect. Thank you. Excellent. So when we talk about, uh, you know, the rub we, last week we finished talking about the rubber meets the road. How does this touch society and culture? Uh, but really all of that tends to sort itself out if you've got the doctrinal basis for, for what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. So that's what we're going to do this week. Uh, I do have a couple of things that I want to mention, though. Uh, there were a lot of questions about the kingdom and Satan's kingdom, God's kingdom, and how the, the interplay between them. And I said that I'd preached a couple messages on that. What I did this week, number one, if, if you don't have any other means, I went ahead and burned three DVDs. These are not DVDs that you can stick into your DVD player. They're just data DVDs. They've got those two messages on video and those two messages on MP3 that I preached. Uh, it was at the beginning of this year, January, February, on the kingdom. It's a two-part series. I also put those two messages on the podcast. So if you subscribe to the podcast, then today if you, if you load up that podcast on your phone, you should see those two messages on the kingdom pop up. And uh, the first one is about an hour. The second one is just a little over an hour. And it's two parts. And it gets into more detail on the nature of, of the, the kingdom conflict between God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom, why, how Satan achieved the kingdom, why he wants a kingdom, uh, how that kingdom plays out throughout the Bible, the conflict between the kingdoms as it plays out throughout the Bible, each individual epoch of history, and how at the end of each one of these stages in history, there's a, tr a deep threat to the kingdom of God by Satan's kingdom, and then God has to directly, God, God directly intervenes in a manner that uh, kind of resets things so that the kingdom can continue, uh, not because God is weak and Satan's kingdom is strong, but rather because God is continually holding back his, his choice to finalize the program, right, to come and establish his kingdom in mercy because he wants to give every man a chance to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God is being patient, and as he's being patient, there are times where he is divinely intervening in the affairs of men in order to make sure that, that, that 
his kingdom and his promises do not fail. So if you're interested in that, again, I have three copies for anyone that you know might not uh, want to pursue it either on YouTube or on uh, po- in podcast format. Uh, they are on YouTube on my my church's YouTube page, Legacy Baptist Church, um, and the YouTube page for that. They are. You can take one of these DVDs, or if you subscribe to the podcast and the introduction page. Um, to that, that I gave you has the podcast address on it. You can look, just search on iTunes for MMD or Metro Mold. I don't think it's under Metro Mold. I think MMD is what you'd have to search, and you'll find the podcast, and you can listen to those two messages if you'd like on the kingdom if you'd like some more information. Secondly, I had told you about various elements of practical theology. We'll talk about it at the, at the end as it relates to this world and the spirit realm. Uh, I've got a book, I've got several books here, and if you'd like to borrow one, you, you certainly can, or if you'd just like to write down the, the name of the book to purchase yourself. This one um, talks about how um, Islam's prophecies of their Messiah, their, the, the, the 12th Imam, the, the prophecies of Islam's great Savior line up almost word for word with the biblical prophecies of Antichrist. And so it shows that even in this radical system that seems to conflict with everything that's going on today, in fact, uh, Islam is going to fall right into the same, they're looking for the same guy that the humanists, the secular humanists are looking for, and that the ecumenical religionists are looking for. They're all looking for the same guy. We call him in the Bible Antichrist, and Islam is a part of that as well. I've got a book here by a man named Gary Bates. Um, called Alien Intrusion, and uh, he just made this into a movie uh, that came out in various uh, theaters, actually, I think in January of this last year, and this, uh, and the book is significantly more informative, uh, generally speaking, that's true, right, than the movie, but it, it shows how the alien phenomena uh, is, is very, very characteristic. All of the characteristics that, that undergird the alien phenomena and people's interactions with UFOs are are down the line the same characteristics of people that have in various times and in various places interacted with demonic entities. And so it's painting the connection that the alien phenomena is in fact a demonic phenomena. There's a book here by a man named Brandon House, and I don't agree with everything that that he says, but he's a very good researcher. And uh, he's got this book called Grave Influence, 21 Radicals, and their worldviews that rule America from the grave. And he talks about 21 people, and uh, he goes through their various teachings, their various, uh, the books that they've written, and their philosophers, their um, economists, their, you know, uh, John Dewey, John Maynard Keynes, Aldous Huxley, Charles Darwin, Friedrich Nietzsche, Margaret Sanger, she's the woman who founded Planned Parenthood, William James, Alice Bailey, Helen Shuckman, Sigmund Freud, Alfred Kinsey, Benjamin Bloom, B.F. Skinner, another psychologist, the Frankfurt School, so that, that entire movement there, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, who is technically a, uh, a Christian philosopher, many people regard him as, and he has some good things um, to say, but he's got some problems as well. Julius Wellhausen, Christopher uh, Columbus Langdell, Betty Frieden, and Roger, uh, Roger Baldwin, uh, so, and Karl Marx, Sololinsky. So um, this it t- just gives you kind of a, a, a general overview of each of their philosophies and shows how they, they merge into the same false problems. And then I've got these books here. 
And um, all three of these are by the same man. His name is Warren Smith. And um, he talks about how New Age uh, teaching is encroaching into the church and how the church is being um, threatened deeply in doctrine by by emerging with Near Eastern mysticism and all of the pagan, demonic, dangerous stuff that is out there. Um, so he's got a, a general book here called False Christ Coming, Does Anybody Care? He's got one that directly uh, speaks to Sarah Young in that very popular book, Jesus Calling, and how Jesus Calling is, is very much so emerging of Christian thinking with Near Eastern mysticism, very much so. And then this one is about Rick Warren and his purpose-driven life, and uh, it gets into the, uh, this is actually a follow-up. The first one is called Deceived on Purpose, the New Age Implications of the Purpose-Driven Church, and both of them speak, this one summarizes a lot of the stuff that's in the first book and goes a little bit deeper, and um, both of them talk about how if you look into the past of Rick Warren and you look at what he's attempting to do with the movement and of course the fruit of the movement, there's a great deal of danger there. And again, this is not to say that you can't listen to a Rick Warren or read Sarah Young's book and find some value. But the problem becomes uh, if, 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 uh, if we find value where there is also error, are we going to be able to properly parse value from error or are we going to end up falling into error for the sake of that value? And uh, you know, I encourage my people, I, I would encourage you to look for places, to look for teachers where you can find value without having to, there's always going to be disagreements, but without having to wonder whether or not things, uh, deep error, pagan error, new age, new age thinking, uh, uh, th that sort of paganism is finding way into the teaching. Uh, I also do have, by the way, these, these um, God's kingdom, Satan kingdom, I, I have them on thumb drive too, so if you wanted to, to if you had some, some means by which, or if you have your own thumb drive, I can certainly transfer them over for you. Okay, so um, last week we had stopped, and we had just kind of gotten into this, uh, I apologize, there's no page numbers here, but um, I didn't put page numbers on these, but it's page, uh, one, two, three, looks like six, four, five, six. Um, spiritual warnings against interaction with the spirit realm outside of God's prescribed method. So uh, there's little doubt that God wants us to interact with the spirit realm. Uh, we are to walk in the spirit. We're to live in the spirit. We're to pray in the spirit. But uh, he wants us to interact with him as a spirit in the spirit realm, not with the entities um, that... That, that are particularly demonic. And, and there's a great number of warnings against that. We talked about that just at the end. So uh, I give you here four Old Testament verses, all in the law, regarding those that deal with the spirit realm as far as it relates to demonism or demonic uh, interaction. Uh, Exodus 22:18, right? Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Leviticus 19.31, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards. To be defiled by them, I am the Lord your God. Uh, so he says that these will defile you. Uh, Leviticus 20, verses tw uh, 6 and 7, and then verse 28, uh, he warns the same thing. And then Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12. He calls these witches and, and wizards the abominations of those other nations or those pagan nations and he says that you will that there will there should not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire that was human sacrifice and what you'll find throughout the old testament is that 
there is a very common link between demonism, witchcraft, wizardry, and human sacrifice. Now, if you look up witchcraft on the internet, the modern witchcraft has kind of uh, avoided this in in, um, in in formal form, but in in uh, in at least representative form, it's still not uncommon. If you uh, do any research on the kinds of uh, witchcraft or wizardry themed things that happen, they normally have um, cadaver, like like false cadavers, fake cadavers lying on the tables. Uh, there was a um, there was a uni- uh, it's it's the UN. What's it called? Um, U- UNICEF, right? U U UN. It's it's a. Uh, having to do with the children, right, helping children, whatever. And they had a fundraiser. And at this fundraiser, everyone was dressed up in, like, demonic clothing. This wasn't even, like, a Halloween fun li- fundraiser, but everyone had, like, horns and stuff. And they had cadavers on the table, and they had a cake that was a baby, but it didn't have any arms or legs. It was, like, a dismembered baby. And, like, all of this stuff at their party, right? Crazy stuff. Um, very crazy stuff. Um, but this is quite common among among the, that realm where there's some sort of allusion to human sacrifice. Uh, this is because Satan has always wanted human sacrifice. And, um, and so he, it, we'll see this here. We see it in, in uh, Second Chronicles in the days of Manasseh where uh, people go after human sacrifice and they're also going after witchcraft. They're also going after divination. They're also going after charming and consulting with familiar spirits and wizardry and necromancy. And all of those things. So we see those connected here again. God says all of them are abominations unto the Lord. And then uh, we get to the New Testament passage here in Galatians 5. And this is the warning. And then we'll we'll start digging a little deeper into New Testament teaching. So at the bottom of that page there in Galatians 5 verses 16 through 21. Paul says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. So, Paul's painting this contrast, and we've talked about flesh versus spirit before. On the one side you have the flesh. This is your sin nature. This is natural you. And on the other side you have, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is literally, the Bible says, indwelling you, living inside of you. And so there is a spiritual part of you and there's a sinful flesh part of you and they war in you for the rest of your life, right? And the one you feed is the one that's going to grow. The one you feed is the one that gets strong. So Paul says, walk in the spirit. And when you're walking in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. But if you allow your flesh to dominate, then you're grieving and quenching the spirit of God and the spirit has no power. So now he's going to give the characteristics of the flesh and then he talks about the characteristics of the spirit. I only give you the flesh here because that's the part that proves the point that I'm making about warnings against interaction with the spirit realm. And the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up is not only because, of course, we see it in the Bible, but naturally the question becomes, well, you know, that's all, everything you've given me is Old Testament, right? Well, uh, everything you've given me is the Old Testament law and it's a long time ago. What about God's teachings to the church? Well, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which are all sexual sin, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, 
envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So we see that witchcraft is on this list of the things that come out of the flesh. These are the things that are associated with the sin nature. These are the this is the old way. This is the old this is this is man in his natural state. This is not God. Witchcraft is not of God and it is not a safe thing. It is not a neutral thing. It is a very real thing. Even in the New Testament, we see God saying, don't be involved in witchcraft. This stuff is real. So now we get into the instructions as it relates to the spirit realm. Believers' instructions regarding the spirit realm on the next page there. The believer's enemy is spiritual, not material. The believer's battle is spiritual, not material. If you take nothing else away from really these entire two weeks, uh, you need to take away Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Those four um, classifications are, uh, there are times where, where certain of those classifications might mean some earthly power, but in this context, the way they are speaking this, these, these are spiritual forces that are being spoken of here. This is the spirit realm, not the physical realm that he's talking about. Wherefore, he says, Take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on a breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye may be able to quench the fiery darts, that would be arrows, of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So what the Bible tells us, the Bible says that we, are, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your enemies are not flesh and blood. Now, there are people, I actually had a really interesting conversation with a man just a little while ago. I tell my church this all the time, that your enemies are not the evil people <laughs> that are around us. The, the enemy is, is the one that's, that's influencing and deceiving those evil people. It's the spirit realm. And he came up to me and he said, but, but, but pastors, man that goes to our church, he said, then why does the Bible say love your enemies? How can you, if they're not your enemies, why love your enemies? Well, and I explained to him, well, if a man makes himself my enemy, I don't have to make him, I don't, I don't have to make him my enemy just because he's made himself an enemy of me. I can love him and count him not as my enemy, though he has said I am your enemy, right? And, and so our, our contentions, the real battles that take place are not battles in this world. Whether you're talking about uh, a contention, just uh, a simple wrestling, right? Uh, contending with your wife over something or your children over something as far as it relates to uh, behavior or obedience or choices, uh, church, whatever it might be. Or whether we get into bigger stuff like politics, right? And, and the, the, the deceptions and the lies that go on uh, that, that we see so regularly. Whether we're talking about um, false teachers, these, these false teachers that, that have arisen and have, have caused people to uh, um, be 
weakened in the distinctions of the Christian faith or even false systems of, of religion like Islam that would, that would want to absolutely annihilate us uh, simply because we don't believe what they believe. Those are interactions that we have and, and uh, those interactions can take any number of turns. But the true battlefield is spiritual. And I say it that way on purpose. The Bible does have a lot to say about us as it relates to other people in the physical realm of, of being loving and meek and forgiving. And this is, this is important. But that doesn't, not, none of that is intended to take away from the fact that every day as a believer is a battle. That God needs warriors. That the Christian faith is not for the faint of heart. It's not for weaklings. It's not for, for, for emasculated men. Nor does the Christian faith ask you to yield the distinctives of your masculinity or your desire to be a man. A lot of churches have become excessively feminine today because they take these concepts of kindness and of love, and, and, and which, are, which are very good things, and they have... Taken, they have drawn only the feminine elements of that out and said this is how we're supposed to live and that's not true. That's not true at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible, as it speaks of, uh, of, the, of the Christian virtues, one of the primary words that's used is meek, meekness. And meekness is not weakness. Uh, meekness is, is strength under control. It is the idea that I am taking my aggression and my strength and my, my capacities and I am harnessing them in a particular direction to make the most good and to be the most effective. So the Bible says that our contention, our wrestling, the, the day in and day out things that are happening, they don't start in this realm. They don't start in the physical. They begin in the spiritual they begin with spiritual battles. There's a, a, an account in the book of Daniel where Daniel reads of um, the, the 70 years of captivity. Israel was sent into Babylon for 70 years and he's reading about that account in the book of Jeremiah and he realizes that that time is almost up. So he commits himself to praying and asking God uh, for the Lord to, to deliver uh, the nation and to restore them and he's praying this prayer and the Bible says that an angel comes to him uh, several weeks later and gives him the answer to his prayer. And the angel says, from the minute that you started praying this prayer, I was sent to you. He says, but I was withheld by the prince of Persia. And that prince is not a man, that's a demonic entity that had been given power. He talks about the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual wickedness in high places. The prince of Persia was a demonic entity that had authority over the Persian realm and this angelic being being sent to Daniel to give him an answer contended for weeks against the prince of Persia and had to call Michael the archangel in as a reinforcement to help fight the battle in order that he could get his message to Daniel. And there were weeks of spiritual battles in order to get this message to him. 21. 21 days, three weeks. So we have this, this glimmer, right? You don't see, as I mentioned last week, you don't see a lot of, there is not a lot of direct teaching about <coughs> spiritual battle. 
about, about these sorts of things, about what is happening in the heavenlies. We read about Michael the archangel contending with the devil in, in Revelation. We read, uh, as we gave last week, about Elisha and, and the chariots of fire that were in the, in the, the mountains surrounding him. We read about uh, Balaam and the angel of the Lord, and we read these things, but and, and, and it gives us these glimmers into the, 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 this realm in which, quite frankly, I think if the Lord opened our eyes to it, most of us would just die of fright. We would just be so overwhelmed that, uh, typically speaking, every time Daniel was given some insight into the spirit realm, the Bible says that he fell down as a dead man. He, I don't know if that means he passed out, or if it was just so much for him that he physically could not, like his body just kind of collapsed underneath him. But he was, it was startling to him. Uh, we see it with John, we see it with Ezekiel, we see it with so many of these men that were given a glimpse into the spirit realm that it was, it was almost overwhelming to their senses. This is happening. And the fact that we, this is why we studied the foundation first. The fact that we know the spirit realm exists is important. Last week then we just bridged the gap directly to where does the spirit realm manifest itself most obviously in our culture. But the in-between is how do we relate to the spirit realm? Well, we have the Holy Spirit of God as our ally and we are fighting a battle against the forces of evil. May sound cliche, but it is absolutely true that you're in God's kingdom or you're in Satan's kingdom. And if you're in God's kingdom, then you know that there's a battle going on and you're fighting that battle. Then there is this, those in Satan's kingdom. The majority of people in Satan's kingdom don't think about the fact that they're fighting a battle. They're just living their lives. And they're committed to the concepts of Satan's kingdom because that's the default. And then you've got like the people that we read about last week, right? The Helen Shuckmans and the Saul Alinskys and these people who, uh, who um, uh, uh, have dedica they dedicate their books to Lucifer, right? They talk about how they are at the, the tip of Satan's spear. Those people know what they're doing, right? Those people have Satan's plan in mind and they are, they are implementing Satan's plan. And here we are as the, angel, as, as, as the, the soldiers of, of the light... And we've been given this power. We've been asked to fight a battle. And Ephesians 6 gives us the, the weapons of our warfare. So the weapons that we have. He says, have your loins girt about with truth, right? So your loins, that would be uh, your legs. Be girt with truth. Be loyal to the truth. Stand upon the truth. Know the truth, love the truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Do right. Love the right. Feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. That word gospel meaning good news. The uh, preparation to tell of the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Of peace. Of the fact that Jesus has overcome sin and overcome the world. Above all, he says, taking the shield of faith. And the shield of faith is what the Bible says quenches the, the arrows of the wicked. So, the arrows that come in, and it, it, there's, you know, is the wicked here, the wicked one, the devil, or is it just all the wicked? Good question, maybe both. But the idea is this, the things that come into our lives on a, on, on a, on a daily basis, the trials, the tribulations, 
Uh, we think of Job. We talked a little bit about Job last week. Satan comes to God, and God says, where have you been? And Satan says, I've been going to and fro and up and down the earth. And God says, well, have you considered, you know, he, he's, he's looking for people to destroy. And God says, have you considered Job? My servant Job, there's none like him in all the earth who is righteous and who loves me. And Satan says, well, here's the thing. I can't touch Job. You've, protect, you've, you've got this, this protection over him. I can't touch him. But if you let me touch him, the, the only reason why he loves you is because he's protected. You let, me, you let me touch him. You let me in there. You let me tear him down. And he'll, he'll curse you to your face. So God says, go to it. You can have everything but him. You can't touch his health. You can't touch his life. You can touch all of his stuff. So Satan goes and uh, the Bible says he was one of the wealthiest men in the East. And all of his wealth is destroyed in one day. Uh, it, uh, um, 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 thieves come and they take all of his cattle. And uh, a, a lightning comes and burns down all of his fields. And, and his servants are killed. And then his ten children are feasting in one house together. They have a good relationship, presumably, with each other. They're all in one house feasting. And a wind comes and knocks that house down. The house falls on top of them. All ten of his children are dead. So he loses all of his money. He loses his children in one day. And the Bible says that Job hears all of this. And the Bible says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head. Those are signs of mourning in Eastern culture. And fell down on the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is faith. Faith is when all of the arrows of Satan have just hit him. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. you God, you, you, there must be something wrong with you. All of this bad stuff just happened and Job said, I am not going to allow the physical circumstances of this life to derail me from what I know to be true, which is that God is just as right and just as, as, as righteous in taking away everything he's given me as when he gave it to me in the first place. He has the shield of faith and that shield of faith for all of the arrows that are coming at him, before that God put a dome for the arrows, right? The dome is lifted. His shield is up, and the arrows hit the shield. His faith got him through this circumstance and saw him to the other side. Uh, then Satan goes back to God, and, and God says, Satan, where have you been? And he said, I've been walking to and fro throughout the earth. And God says, hey, have you considered Job? Right? Obviously, he considered Job. He tried his best. And, and Satan says, well, yeah, God, he didn't curse you when I took his stuff, but that just means he's really selfish. All that means is that as long as he's not affected, he doesn't care if his kids die. He doesn't care if his stuff is gone because he's still got him. And he, that all it means is that he's excessively selfish. But if you let me t touch him, then he'll curse you to your face. And so God says, you can have him, but you can't kill him. You can have his, his health, but you can't kill him. So he gets boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And he is just wallowing. He's in constant pain, 24 hours a day. Of pain, the Bible says that he was scraping his like the pus out of these boils with with a potsherd, with pieces of, of of pots, and 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 he was just sitting there, and he'd put dust all over to try to absorb the, the the pus and whatnot, and he's just sitting there in constant pain. If you've got a boil everywhere, you can't stand, 
You can't sit, you can't lie down, no matter what position you're in, you are in pain, right? And his wife comes up to him. His wife seems to have not been touched by this, um, possibly for the same reason that Eve went after, or Satan went after Eve instead of Adam, right? That the wife can actually be a means through love and empathy and, and relationship can actually be a means because women tend to be more empathetic and emotive. They can, in circumstances such as this, lose some objectivity and perhaps cause the man to then follow her into this emotional response. So she comes up and she says, are you still being faithful to God? Just curse him and die. Just curse God and die. And Job says, you're you're speaking like a foolish woman. And he says exactly what, what I just mentioned a few moments ago. Should we, can we expect good of God but not evil? Is it really right for us to say, God, thank you for your blessings as if, and to acknowledge that God is good to us, that he's given us things, and then, and then feel as though God is not right or not just in saying, I don't want you to have something, so I'm going to take it back away. If everything that we have is a gift from the Lord, then God is just as right to take it away as he was to give it in the first place. So again, he wins that battle, and then his friends come, and there's a lot of back and forth, and that's, that's the book of Job. That's the idea of the shield of faith, that when those arrows come, it is faith in truth and righteousness that sees us through without losing our understanding of who God is and without yielding to the natural desire in our flesh to kind of batten down the hatches and pull, yeah, take it into our own hands. He says, then, take the helmet of salvation, obviously protecting the most important part, uh, understanding our salvation and what we have in Christ, and then we have one truly offensive weapon in the batch, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, the Spirit of God is our ally. He is our power. He is the one that indwells us. We'll talk about prayer in just a moment. And it is the Spirit of God that has given us the Word of God and that takes the Word of God and teaches it to us. We talked about this when we were talking about interpretation in those first week and a half. While anybody can read the Bible and understand the grammar, only those who have the Spirit of God can be taught in the spiritual truths and implications of the Word of God. So the Word of God comes into your ears. The Spirit of God translates that and teaches it to us, makes it real to us. That's the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. It is the thing that that it becomes our anchor. And then the final aspect of this is that it is all bathed in prayer. Prayer is our direct line of communication with God. We talk to God, God talks back to us. And I'm not saying here that, that you know, you're, 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 you're being swept away into, into grand visions. What I'm saying is the Spirit of God communicates if, you're, if you can learn to listen. And the Spirit of God communicates with various people in different ways based upon character and propensity. Uh, And yet, the Spirit of God communicates with man. And for a man that has the Spirit of God, is not quenching or grieving the Spirit of God, 
who is praying and listening for replies. Again, we're not hearing voices from heaven in, in, in the sense of, of, of you know, audible, my, my, I'm not having, you know, my, my hand move without my control to write messages. Now, we're not talking about that, but we're talking about when you learn to listen, direct impressions, direct communication from the Spirit of God that guides us in the way that we should go, that teaches us, that encourages us, and that, that, that lays upon our heart uh, deeper direction as it relates to our, our continued battle, how to fight the battle properly, continuing in prayer. It is very important that we understand that, our, that as spiritual beings, which we are, we're body, soul, and spirit, what we do our disposition in our families, in our homes, in our churches affects things in the spirit realm. So that your day is not just about the physical things that you're doing, but it's about how the things that you're doing relate to the spiritual and the things that you're doing as they relate to the spiritual will affect the spirit realm and will affect how things go. Will affect the battle that is raging in the spirit realm, as we talk about Daniel and Daniel's 21 days of prayer for this answer from the Lord, and Daniel's prayers, Daniel's supplications are redounding to the nature of the spirit realm and what's happening there. Our prayers matter. This is why we are called to pray without ceasing, why the Lord lays it on our hearts to pray for specific people at specific times. Any number of times the Lord has laid on my heart to pray for someone and then maybe I give them a call or I text them and say, hey, just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you today and I'll get something back saying, how did you know? How did I know what? Right? How did I know what? How did you know that we're driving to the hospital? How did you know that, that such and such just happened? Well, all I know is that the Lord laid on my heart to pray for you. Why? Why, why would God ask me to pray for someone in their moment of need. Because he knows that if I am obedient, my prayers affect something in the spirit realm. And that's what he's asking me to do, to get involved in this battle. This is why when I say I'm praying for you, this is not just a trite, silly sort of a way to say, well, I, I want you to think I care about what you're going through, but I don't have anything else I can do, so I'm just going to pray for you. No, it's not that. You know, thoughts and prayers go out with you. People, you know, that, that, that happens after each tragedy and people say, we need more than thoughts and prayers. Well, let's, let's be frank here. For we who know the power of the spirit realm, prayer is the best thing you can do. Now, that doesn't mean that may, there may not be something else. In your prayer, that might be the time where the spirit of God says, send them money. Or go offer to babysit their kids. Take their kids for a while while they're going through what they're going through. Or... Um, you know, coordinate something for them. Take, take, take some, some element of coordination off their plate. You're going to hear all of that as you're praying for them. As you're interceding for them. Pray for your kids. Intercede for your kids. I don't know how, how there's so many Old Testament accounts of Moses, of Samuel, of Ezekiel, of Jeremiah coming before the Lord and God saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do something. I'm going to judge the nation of Israel. And Moses gets down on his knees and says, God, remember mercy. And God says, for your sake, Moses, I won't, 
I won't judge them. Moses literally stood between God's wrath and the people of Israel. We can do that. We can do that for our children. We can do that for our spouse. We can do that for our nation. We can do that for our church. Get in the battle. You want to fight a battle? Fight the battle. Be valiant. The Bible's calling us to be valiant. This takes courage. This takes discipline. This takes determination. That you're going to fight this battle and you're going to fight it properly. This is not, not for the weak. Christianity is not for the weak. It can't be for the weak. Because our spiritual foe is powerful. And so we have a battle to fight. And we fight it the way God has prescribed. We put on the armor and the armor is truth and righteousness and salvation and the gospel and faith and the word of God. That's, that's why we're doing what we're doing here. This is why we always try to elevate truth here. We can't, we can't open the Bible and find something and say, well, that's what the Bible says, but I'm going to find some way to get around it because I don't like that. Okay, well, what you just did, let's, let's be frank about this. What you do when you do that is you put a big old gaping hole in your armor. And that big old gaping hole is, and Satan will see it and he'll see it quickly and that is where he can attack you because there's a big hole because you have set aside a, an important element of the armor of God the things that work together to make us impenetrable in this spiritual battle so that we can fight it on the proper plane when we fall short of some element of this armor if we don't pray have bathed all of this in prayer. If we don't know the Word of God, how can we fight? If the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, how can we fight the battle if we don't know the Word? Right? So this is the idea here. This is, it, we, we take all of the things we've seen of the Spirit realm in, in the Old Testament and all of the testimony of its truth and its power and it comes head to head with us in that there is a spiritual conflict raging in the heavenlies every moment of every day and we are a part of it. And we, have, uh, we, we, we are wrestling against it. We are, we, are, we are fighting against it. And people are deceived. And we can be deceived. And people are being redeemed from out of this. And all of this is not just contingent upon whether or not you know, a, a person comes across a Christian and hears the gospel, but upon the people that are praying for that person. The people that are interceding, God, bring the gospel to them. And then it just so happens that the Spirit of God uses one person to bring the gospel and they hear the gospel and they get saved. But how many people were praying in the background? Either for that person to be saved or that the person who's going out to share the gospel would be spiritually effective in his work. Every week on Tuesday night, which is our midweek service at the church, I ask people, pray for me tomorrow because I'm going into the jail. And we pray that God's Spirit would be divinely preparing the hearts of those with whom I will speak for that meeting. If you've ever been in a jail setting, it's a dark place spiritually. It is a dark spiritual... There are certain places where I've gone in my life where you can spiritually feel an oppression. If you've ever felt that, kind of... Some, maybe it's just you get the creeps, whatever it might be. There, there are places that are spiritually oppressive. 
my, my, my particular jail is not one of the most spiritually oppressive places I've been, but there's a spiritual oppression any place where you get that many people that are, that, that are, are caught up in, in deceit and error. That many people who have, have who, are, who are living that kind of a life, right? Especially a lot of drug addicts because uh, they're very open to demonic suggestion because they have no power over their spirit when they're addic- when they're when they're uh, um, when they're when they're high. So there's it's a dark place, and so I ask my people to pray to prepare them that the spirit of God would cut through that darkness and that evil. And I, the, 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 whether or not I'm fully effective on any given Wednesday morning might be entirely contingent upon how much prayer went into it Tuesday night. So this is our battle. And it's not one for the weak and it's not one for the coward. It is a battle for hardened men who are ready to truly stand and fight. And that's what the Bible teaches us. Thoughts on this? Questions? So why, why doesn't God just like kill all these spirits? Um, I encourage you to listen to these two sermons. Uh, let me give you the short, and then listen to those two sermons. Um, if you want to take one of these, again, I've got the thumb drive. They're on YouTube. Uh, as um, understanding the the understanding the kingdom parts one and two, or they're on the podcast. I've put them up today, but the short answer is this: God is letting Satan have his day, so that when all of this is done, right? The reason why God has not wiped everything out right now is because if He wipes everything out, He has to wipe us out too, and that means that all of those people that might be saved that might receive mercy will not receive mercy. So God is long-suffering and he's putting up with this Satan's kingdom and his kingdom going together through history so that there is the opportunity for people to be called out of Satan's kingdom into the light. So that there are those who can be saved. At the end of this this whole rodeo, God will destroy all evil. And what God is going to establish, when he created his kingdom, he created a kingdom that was perfect, that was 100% subservient to him, but not necessarily all by choice. Man and woman had been made by God, and then God said, serve me, but love is a choice, right? If, if I tell my children, love me, well, I can make my children clean their room. I can make my children obey me. But love, by definition, has to be a choice. Or it's not love. It can be obeisance, it can be submission, it can be any number of things. But love has to be a choice, or it's not really love. What God wants is a creation that loves Him. So God creates this creation in unconfirmed holiness, right? They, they don't have any sin, they are, they, are, they are everything they need to be, but they have not yet been tested. That's why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not put there by God as some sadistic you know, game to, to you know, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not some sadistic game where he's giving them the one thing that they want and then he's saying, you can't have it and if you touch it, you die. 
No, he says you can have every single tree in the garden, but there's one tree and you, you don't need it. He had provided within the garden everything that they needed to be fulfilled and happy and complete. But he said, this is the one thing that you don't need and I don't want you to have it. And Satan said, God's holding something back from you. That's the, that, that thing that God says you don't need is the one thing that you got to have. It's the one thing that's really going to make you happy. And God is afraid of you. God knows that the day you eat of it, you're going to be like God's, knowing good and evil. God knows that and he's afraid of you. And so he's trying to keep something back from you. He's trying to withhold from you the best. And so, of course, they were deceived. They chose Satan's kingdom over God's kingdom on that day. The promises of Satan's kingdom. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Do what you will. Be happy. Uh, uh, if, 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 if it's in me, then it must be fine. All of that kind of philosophy. They chose that as opposed to, I trust the God, I love and trust God who created me to know what's best for me and I'm not going to do what he doesn't want me to do. So, then the rest of history is God putting himself out there saying, I am still here. I love you. I love you so much that I have actually sent my son to die for you, to redeem you back from this sin that you have chosen. And if you love me, come to me and I'll accept you through through Jesus Christ. So the rest of history are people either choosing to accept God and God's kingdom or to stay with Satan and his kingdom. So when we get to the end here, when God finally abolishes everything... Uh, as far as the evil. He, he gets rid of all evil, all unbelievers, all evil, death and hell. It's all in the lake of fire. What will be left? It will be a righteous creation, just like at the beginning, except every single thing in that kingdom of God, God's kingdom, will have not just been created by God, but will have chosen God. Will have said, God, I had your kingdom and Satan's kingdom, and I chose your kingdom. And so, the entirety of God's kingdom will love him as well as obey him. And that's what God wants. So God is allowing the demonic realm to have its day because if he destroyed all, all wickedness, then he would have to destroy ma- the wickedness of man with it. And this creates the conflict that allows God, as it were, to t- prove people's love for him. Will you follow my kingdom? Will you follow Satan's kingdom? And this is where we get into the important elements of Romans chapter 1 and, and Psalm 14, which says, Romans 1 says that, that the power and the Godhead and the existence of God are made known by creation so that every man is without excuse. Now, creation is not enough to get a person to heaven. They have to accept Christ. But if a man accepts the revelation of God, of, of who God is as it relates to creation and conscience, God will be faithful to get him the rest of the way. We have to believe that. So every man will be without excuse on the day of judgment. They will have either chosen Satan's kingdom or God's kingdom. And so this interplay, the, the, the kingdom conflict, the angelic conflict is a part of this. And then, of course, that means that we as God's church, as those who have accepted Christ, for anyone in here that's accepted Christ, We are a soldier in Christ's army. We are a part of this battle, and we are a necessary part. God has commissioned us into his family, but he's also commissioned us into his army. And particularly as men, 
there's, there's an extra level to this. Why? Because God has said explicitly in the New Testament, men, you're the head of your home. Men, you're the head of the church, right? And if men are the head of the home and the head of the church, then my responsibility to fight the spiritual battle for my family is heavy. I, my wife can't fight the spiritual battle as effectively as I can in the sense that she's not the head of the home. She can pray for me. She can pray for the kids. She can pray for herself. That's all there, of course. You know, she, she is, there's no hierarchy of Christian, you know, of, of Christian power in the sense of males versus females. But the fact of the matter is, God has ordained me to be the leader of my family. Which means if things are going to happen spiritual in my home, the most effective spiritual way for them to happen as I gird myself with truth is for me to do it. So once again, men, we need to, we need to get over this idea that the modern church has baked into us that Christian, Christianity is, is, is feminine and is weak and is, is, is all of these elements. Yes, forgiveness is there. Yes, love is there. Yes, turning the other cheek is there. But these things take a strength of their own, do they not? It takes a true strength all its own to forgive. In many ways, it takes more strength to forgive than to just be resentful for the rest of your life. It, 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 to be the bigger man, right? To yield these things to God and then to step up in my home and say, no, this is my home. This is my spiritual battleground. I'm going to pray over this battleground. I'm going to fight for this battleground. My home will be a safe haven of spiritual rest. And I'm not going to let the enemy into my home. And this, you see that as a battleground. So that when the enemy comes in your home, you get that out of this house. This is my castle. And this is God's kingdom. So I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for God's kingdom. I'm going to spend time in prayer for my children and my wife. I'm going to keep the devil and his lies out of my home. We're going to keep this place as a place of spiritual safety and that falls to us men. This is our battle to fight. Your children are, are under your charge, your responsibility on the day of judgment. Your wife will not stand before God and God will say, why did you make those decisions for your home? Because she doesn't bear that responsibility. God will judge her on whether or not she submitted herself to you. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 5. God will judge you on the tenor of your home. You on the direction of your home. You on the choices that have been made in the family. And even if you yield those choices to your wife, the buck still stops with you. You're still responsible on the day of judgment. Which means this battle is a battle that you must fight. And it's one that you have to fight with all of your masculine might with all of your courage and all of your strength and all of your spiritual aggression, if, if I can use that term. We've got to be men. We've got to stand up like men against... We're not talking about the flesh and blood here. We're talking about principalities and powers and against rulers of the darkness of this world. And you say, wow, I'm fighting demons. I can't do that exactly, which is why you need to be walking in the Spirit moment by moment because that's the only way you'll have the power to do what you need to do is by taking the armor of God and putting it on. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, shield of faith, salvation, the sword of the Spirit, always praying. 
That's the only way you can win this battle, and you're in a battle. We've got, we've got to know that we're in a battle. Good question. Any other thoughts or questions? Okay, so instructions regarding the spirit realm. The first one, believer's enemy is spiritual, not material. The battle is spiritual, not physical. Second, resist the devil's accusations and temptations. We already talked about um, the shield of faith. The, the ability to stand against the wiles of the devil. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinner, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. This is important. When we talk about valiancy and strength, a, a, a part of us says, okay, so I'm going to pull myself by my own bootstraps and I'm going to stand against the devil. Well, the Bible says that as we submit ourselves to God and we draw nigh to God, we resist the devil in the spirit and he flees from us. Again, don't think that because I'm using all of this war language, don't think you can do this yourself. Your job is to submit yourself to the spirit of God. Submit yourself to God. Uh, line up with him. And that, that's what the armor of God is, right? Girding yourself with truth. Girding yourself with righteousness. Girding yourself with the gospel. That's what this is saying here. This is submit yourself to God. And so we resist the devil, and the Bible says he will flee from you. The devil is a defeated foe. Is he powerful? He's absolutely powerful. Is he one to be trifled with? He is not one to be trifled with. But is he a defeated foe? He is a defeated foe. Christ has authority over him. We don't have any direct authority over him. This is where you know, some elements of Christianity, they talk about my authority over the devils. Well, the Bible says, in fact, we don't have any direct authority, but Christ does, and we can invoke Christ's authority. We'll talk about that more in a moment. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Others are fighting this battle too, so keep fighting the battle. Resist steadfast in the faith. Stand. Be faithful and have faith. Fight the battle. Maybe you're, maybe you're a little discouraged by this. Maybe you've not done a good job of fighting the battle. Okay, just start today. Don't worry about what's done. What's done is done, but start today. If you don't know how, come see me. We can talk about that. Uh, there, we'll, we'll talk about some of the elements of how here. But, um, but if you need more help, I'm always available for that. So, how do we resist the devil's accusations and temptations? Number one, resist the lies of the devil by knowing and believing the truth. So, I take you here to when Jesus was tempted of the devil. Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, beginning in verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. It's probably an, uh, uh, an understatement of the year there. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up to, into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, 
thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Three temptations here. And in these temptations, what Satan was attempting to do was attempting to appeal to the humanity of Jesus and cause him to rely upon himself and come outside of God's promises. So the first one he says is, look, you're God. Prove you're God. Make these, these stones into bread. You're hungry, so feed yourself. Lust of the flesh. A desire to be fulfilled. There's a desire in you. And God gave you that desire, right? Hunger is a God-given desire. Because God built us to get hungry, to know that we need to eat so that we don't starve and die. Could you imagine if you've ever read about someone whose nerves aren't working and they don't feel pain? And so they have to be real careful because they might you know, step on a nail and not even know it and just be gouging their, you know, they're bleeding and they're gouging their, their foot over and over and over again and they don't even know that they're doing it. Nerves are a blessing. You stub your toe and you say, ah, and you hate the fact that your toe hurts, but have you ever stopped to thank God that you can actually feel it? Because if you couldn't feel the pain, you wouldn't stop, right? You wouldn't stop hurting yourself and we'd all, we'd, we would all be dead if we didn't have pain receptors, Right? Because we would be doing something, we wouldn't feel the pain, and we'd keep doing it, and we'd all just snap ourselves in half. It's a blessing from the Lord, in a backward sort of way, right? So Satan says, look, God has, effectively, God has given this to you. And if, it, if, if he's given it to you, then it must be right. Well, it is right in its proper context. But just because I feel something doesn't mean it's always right. This is what we've got to, you know, when we talk about sexual sin... Uh, in the 60s and 70s, the transition was, if it feels good, do it. It was a complete abandonment of this principle, which says, no, it is given to you by God. It is natural, but there is an avenue within which it's right, and there's avenues within which your natural impulses are actually wrong. So I have to guide my natural impulses through truth into that which is right. So what, is, what does Jesus do here? How does he respond? He resists the lie of the devil by knowing and believing what is true. So he says, no, no, I know that what you're telling me. You're telling me that because this is a natural feeling in me, it must be right. And because I have the ability to turn stones into bread, I should just make these stones into bread, eat the bread, feel better. And then, and then I can feel better and I can pray better and I can whatever. No, that's not right. Because the Bible says there's something more important than just food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I am trusting God for my bread. When God wants me to have bread, he'll give me bread. God will not abandon me. God will take care of me, which means I need to wait for God's provision. Satan said, get provision outside of God. Jesus said, no, I will wait for God's provision. And until the day God provides, and I know he will, he has to because he's faithful, I can wait, even though every urge in me says, don't wait, take care of this now. And then he, the devil takes him up into the city, that would be Jerusalem, to, to the top of the temple and says, throw yourself off, prove that you're God, because the Bible says that, that, that God will give his angels charge over you so that you won't get hurt. So prove that you're God. Prove that you're the son of God. Prove that God is going to take care of you. 
Once again, it's this idea of go outside. This is tempting God. This is when, when the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Take no thought for what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your clothes what you shall put on, because God will take care of those things. And so I read that in the Bible. I read that God will take care of my food and that God will take care of, of my, my clothing. And so I say, okay, then I don't need to budget for food and I don't need to budget for clothing because God will take care of those. So I'm going to go take my clothing and my food budget and I'm going to go buy a jet ski. Wrong. That's tempting God. God gives you the money so that you can buy food and clothing. Right? That is God's method of provision. You can't say, well, God, I went and I bought a jet ski with that money because you're going to provide for me, and then I expect the Schwann's guy to knock on the door and say, here's all this free food. It's not going to work that way. That's tempting God. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I throw myself off of this. God will protect me because God has said he will, but I have tempted him and that is a sin. I have, I, have, I have drawn him outside of his methods of provision in order to prove him, and that's tempting God, and tempting God is a sin. He relies on truth. He relies on truth. The third one. He takes him, and this is the big one. We've talked about the kingdom, right? So he takes Jesus to the top of a high mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of this world. So these are all the kingdoms that are, you know, Satan is over the kingdoms of this world. Okay? So when we talk about nations and empires... Satan drives that because lust and pride and war and evil. This is what drives nations. So Satan is over all of that. Now, I'm not saying that every nation is evil. I'm not saying, I'm not saying every leader is evil. That's not what I'm trying to say here. What I'm saying is the system, the whole system, the way the world functions is under the rules of, satanic, of, of Satan's kingdom. It's might, it's power, it's wealth, it's might makes right, right? Uh, the will to power, do what thou wilt. This is how the world operates because the world is, is lost in sin. So he shows them all of these kingdoms and he says, if you will bow down to me, I'll give them all to you. So here Jesus has a really interesting choice. Jesus came to die on the cross and by dying on the cross, Jesus claims victory over sin, death, and hell. Right? And then eventually, at the end of this age, the revel uh, re revelation comes, the end times come, G Jesus judges the world, and then he comes back and he claims the world for himself, and he creates a kingdom. Right? But in order to get to that kingdom, in order to, 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 su to subjugate all of the kingdoms of this world underneath him, he has to live as a man, die on the cross, suffer that shame, suffer, suffer the, the separation of God, rise from the dead, wait out this time where, where he's gathering the bride, and then subjugate the kingdom. Satan says, I can give you another way. I can give you a back door. You want the kingdoms of this world from me? Which is, this is the kingdom conflict, right? This is the battle. Satan says, you want the kingdoms? You can have the kingdoms if you bow down to me. Admit that I am God, effectively. God bows to Satan. That makes Satan higher than God. And you can have the kingdoms. This is a back door. This is a shortcut. And Jesus says, of course, no, God has provided a way for me to have the kingdoms without disobeying the word. 
everything that God has asked you to do or provided for you, He can give you without any compromise to His Word. You will never have to compromise the truths of God's Word in order to, re to receive the blessings or provisions of God. And so, we resist the lies of the devil by knowing and believing truth. If you don't know, if you don't know the Word, then you can't really apply the Word, can you? If you don't know what God has said is yours in Christ, if you don't know what God has said about the power of the Spirit of God, if you don't know what God has said about His provision, if you don't know that Matthew 6 promises that, that you'll have food and you'll have drink and you'll have clothing, so that you spe then, then, then when Satan comes and says, look, if you don't cheat on your taxes, you're not going to have enough money for food this next year. If you don't know Matthew 6, then you're not going to have the, the rock to stand on that says, wait a minute, that's a lie from the devil. And I know it's a lie because God is not going to ask me to lie and to cheat on my taxes in order to secure something that he's already promised me. And so I stand on the truth and I say, no, I'm going to tell the truth and I'm going to do right on my taxes specifically so that I can have God's blessing because God's going to take care of my food and my raiment. He'll take care of that. God has promised to take care of that. But I have to know the truth and I have to believe the truth. Um, thoughts, questions on this? The next point. You need to, and this is what I said before, you have no authority over demons directly, even in Christ. As a Christian, you don't have any direct authority over demons. Don't accuse the demons. Respect the devil's power, but also understand him to be a defeated foe. You need to respect his power. This is where the charismatics get it wrong. You watch, I don't know what channels they're on. I, I, I can't, they, they sicken me, I can't watch them. But, uh, you know, they, the, uh, I rebuke that, you know, devils, I rebuke you, right? And, the, and all these people, uh, uh, Gloria Copeland one time said she was on a plane and there was a tornado coming and she rebuked the tornado and went away and, and, and because the, she rebuked the devil behind that tornado and they rebuked cancer and they rebuked these things. Here's a really interesting fact about when they say, I rebuke you. I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you, demons. You've got the, the text here. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10-12. through 12. Uh, Peter is warning against false teachers and he says this, Chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they and self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. This is demonic powers. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. To understand more of what this means, look at the Jude passage, verses 9 through 11. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these, and this is speaking again of false teachers, these speak evil of things which they know not. So when, when, when Kenneth Copeland and Gloria Copeland and whoever else, I don't know, Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes and whoever else might be in these circles. When they are here saying, I rebuke you, these healing ministries, I rebuke, devil, I rebuke you, demon, I rebuke you. The Bible says, Michael the archangel would not even say, I rebuke you to, to the devil. 
Like Michael the archangel would not even, he says, the Lord rebuke you. The only power that Michael has over Satan is invoking the power of God against Satan. And in both of these passages, it's speaking about false teachers who think that they actually have some sort of power over demonic entities and who they say, I rebuke you, devil. I rebuke you, demon. And the demons are laughing. They, there's no power there. Both of these passages say these, as, th these people do have no idea what they're dealing with. They have no idea what they're talking about. These people... Speak evil of those things that they know not. They do not understand the powers that they're dealing with here. Once again, this is a warning telling us how powerful these entities are. Now, is there such thing as, a, um, as uh, exorcisms and, and ministry of, of dealing with uh, oppressive forces? Absolutely. But, but when those things happen, it is not, these people are not, uh, uh, they're not interacting with the demonic realm in their authority or their power they are interacting with the demonic realm only in the power and in the name of Christ. Invoking Christ's authority. Not my own. Not my authority in Christ. Christ's authority. The Lord rebuke you. Not I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. Right? But the Lord rebuke you. So watch out for this. When you see these people. I rebuke you devil. I rebuke you this. I rebuke you that. They are either ignorant or they are deceitful. It's, all, it's one or the other. And either way, they have no right to teach you anything. Because they're either ignorant of the word of God, which means they're a novice, which means they dis they're disqualified as a pastor, or they are purposefully deceiving you into thinking that they have some power that they certainly do not have. This happened in the book of Acts with the seven sons of Sceva. Uh, there's uh, uh, an account in the book of Acts and you know what, I think I'd like to go there just because I want to make sure that I get it right. So give me a moment. Let me see if I can find it. Let me see if I can find it just briefly here. Actually, let me, let me shortcut this. Give me just a moment. And I'll just Acts nineteen. Acts nineteen. We have an account here of the sons of Sceva. So the apostles had this authority whereby they would go and they could cast out demons in the Lord's name. And the Bible says in verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, so these were, these Jews were, were not believers and they were, um, they were false Jews. They, they, they took the name of, of Judaism, but they were, they were false. And the Bible says they were exorcists. So they had certain methods of seeking to exercise demonic powers. Uh, um, the, the amount of success that they have is not said in the Bible, but it says, the Bible says, that it took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. 
So they were going up to these demonic entities, demonically possessed people, and saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus that Paul preaches, because they knew Paul had power, and they knew Jesus had power. So in the name of that Jesus, the one that Paul preaches, and then they try to exercise these demons. So the Bible says, And there were, were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and a chief of the priests, which did so. So they were attempting to exercise these demons. And the evil spirit, so they go up to this, this man and they say, In the name of the Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out of this man. And the Bible says, The evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked, wounded. So literally what happened is they attempted to cast out this demon in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. And this demon said, yeah, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And then the man that had been possessed by this demon tore these guys up ripped off all their clothes, beat them up, and they all ran away beat up and naked. This is the power that the spirit realm has. Now, you say, wait a minute. Why don't we see it then? Why don't we see all of this demonic influence? Um, I contend to you that we do. We just don't call it that anymore. Um, the, the idea of, and, and I'm not saying this is across the board, so don't get me wrong here. But, but statistically, um, right now they say one in four Americans have a mental health issue now. That's, that's the new statistic. One in four suffering from some mental health issue. Of course, that's a broad umbrella, right? PTSD, bipolar schizophrenia, all, uh, all of these things, right, are under the umbrella. I believe that to an extent... We are conflating what are actual mental health issues, like the wires are crossed, with spiritual issues. Some of those spiritual issues are just, I'm, I'm being selfish and I'm depressed because I'm guilty over my sin. And when people confess their sin, much of this lifts. But it does get into the realm of there are people out there, no doubt, who are under demonic oppression or possession that are lauded under this mental health category. Now, it's more obvious in third world countries where, where demons are more powerful. I had a roommate in college from Nigeria and the stories he would tell me, and it was a Christian college, the stories he would tell me about demonic possession there in Nigeria were terrifying because the spirit realm is not as veiled there. We're in a modernistic society. Satan is not going to do himself any favors in our society by coming out in the open, by open, overt, demonic possession. Why? Because the vast majority of our society is very content to believe that these things don't exist. And so they're happy to live within the demonic influence of their music and their culture without even having to acknowledge that, that the demonic realm exists, which is a benefit to Satan. But you get to places where, where there's still, there's still the, the darkness in, in, in power and, and, and the demonic realm becomes more powerful. One way or another, though, here's... Uh, I, I'm on, definitely way on the wrong slide here. Uh, one, one way or another though, um, we need to understand that our authority is only Christ using us. It's not our authority in Christ. We have no authority over this realm. We only have the authority of Christ. Christ is the authority by which this can be conquered. So the Romans 16.20, Paul says to the church of Rome, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. 
the idea that it is, it is Christ who does the work, not us. All right, so believers' instructions regarding the spirit realm, and then I'll, I'll take questions. Resist the devil's accusations and temptations. Secondly, where we're going next, refuse any association with the devils and reprove the darkness. Don't reprove the devils, but reprove the darkness. Before we get on to that, any final questions about this, what, what, what we just talked about, or any questions about that? Chuck. Uh, this is just a comment relative to, yes. uh, I had a daughter who suffered from bipolar. And, I mean, it was as if she was being possessed hmm. by demons. She had heard voices. You know, she talked to her that talked to her and all this. And, I mean, her actions were not herself. Yeah. And it's quite possible. And even if we're not talking about demonic possession, there's this other category that we call demonic oppression, which is where the demon is not necessarily controlling, but is influencing. That's sometimes where the voices can come in. If a voice is coming out of you that's different, there might be a possession element there. Uh, if, if the voices are just in your head, there might be an oppression element there. But it's very possible. Well, she used to play music very loud mm. to cover these voices. I've heard many, many of those similar stories. As a matter of fact, there's one woman who um, is, her name is Donna. I don't know if I mentioned her last week, but about four years ago, I led her to the Lord with my wife. And um, she was on disability for bipolarism. And uh, her, I, I'd met her through her husband, who was in jail. And uh, so my wife and I visit her and, and chat with her, show her what the Bible says, share the gospel with her. She accepts Christ as her Savior. And within six months, all of her bipolar symptoms were gone. It was all gone. And I don't know if it was a demonic element or if it was simply because when she got saved, one of the things that happened is she started forgiving her mother and her father and she started releasing resentments. And there was a tremendous change in her when she allowed those resentments to go. One way or another, though, we need to understand that the spirit realm is active. And just because our society has set it aside and, and says that it doesn't exist, we need, no, we, we need to know better than this. It does exist. And, it, and they are still being active. And, when, and this is why when I warned you last week about things such as music and, 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 um, um, and certainly drugs and alcohol and these sorts of things that can lessen our inhibitions. Uh, there's a woman in my church, and she is now just a fantastic Christian woman. When she was in high school, she went to high school there in Buffalo, and she was a heavy drug user. She was a goth, right? She was all dark clothes, the whole thing, right? And she would wake up, and she wouldn't even know what state she was in. She, would, she, she didn't know how she was in. She would just come out of these stupors and... And, but one of the things that she said, and it was not until she got into our church that she finally figured out what was going on, she said, she said, I used to get high, and then the next morning I would wake up, and I would have drawn these elaborate pictures of dragons. And she said, I never took a drawing class in my life, and I could not, in my sober state, ever have reproduced anything of the sort. I didn't know how to draw. And yet she said these were like frameable works of art that she had drawn, in her state of, of inebriation. 
and she was realizing that in that state she had become completely suggestive to the demonic realm and that the demonic realm was acting through her in that state. These things happen. Uh, this is not this is not even necessarily uncommon. When, when, when I showed you that Beyonce clip last week, when, when if, if you traced any of that, watch that documentary, any of those things, uh, the idea that that people uh, put themselves under the influence of some spiritual entity in order to have a capacity that they wouldn't otherwise have, making a deal with the devil is not unfounded when we understand the power of what we're dealing with here. So we, as, as believers, we resist the devil's accusations, we resist their temptations, we understand that power. Thank you, Chuck, for adding that. Other thoughts or anything before we move on to the next command? All right, next. Refuse any association with the devils. Reprove the darkness. Um, first, I, I give you some, major, some longer passages here. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 9 says this, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think... That he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So the idea is that we have freedom in Christ and we know we have freedom in Christ. And he's talking about things offered unto idols. This is generally speaking the idea that a, 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 a you know, these people lived in pagan cultures. Uh, uh, polytheistic cultures. They had Zeus and they had uh, Mercury and they had all of these gods, right? And so they would take the meat in any given town and sometimes they would kill that meat and before selling that meat, they would, they would sacrifice or they'd dedicate that meat to the god of their city in order to have luck, to, be, um, to, to, to sell it, to, uh, you know, to, to, to have favor from the gods. Uh, or maybe it was a, a dinner party of some sort and before the dinner party, the person, the host of that dinner party would, 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 would um, dedicate all the meat in that dinner party to to the god of, of their city. And what we know of these gods is that these gods would be backed by some demonic element. To whatever degree there's anything behind that god, there's a demon there. Right? So he says in verse 4, As concerning therefore the eating of things that are offered and sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol, the actual stone or whatever it is, is nothing in the world. There's none other god but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether they are in heaven or in earth, that's including demonic forces, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So we recognize that, that even these demonic elements, that there is only one God, that these other things are not gods, and so to that extent, this, there is an emptiness to their dedication in that they're dedicating it to Zeus. Zeus doesn't exist, right? Now, even if there's a demonic entity behind that, Zeus himself does not exist. That stone that they're... That they're some man carved that stone. It didn't carve itself. If, if uh, that stone was being attacked, if I took rocks and I started throwing it at the statue of Zeus, that statue could not defend himself. He would not defend himself. I could chip at him all day, and I, I'm, I'm, the rock is not going to do anything to me. Right? It can't do anything to me. It's just a rock. So that's the idea here. And then he talks about every man's conscience. That's the weaker brethren principle. I'm not going to go into that tonight. He does say in verse 9 there though, Take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours to eat this meat sacrifice to idols 
become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So that's the 1 Corinthians 8 passage, and he's talking about a man's conscience. But then we jump to 1 Corinthians 10, same book of the Bible, two chapters later, and we read this. He says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Verse 13. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, or above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge you what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? When we come together and we partake in communion in church, we are partaking together in Christ, right? You're in Christ, I'm in Christ. This is representative of the body and the blood of Christ. And we are, we are partaking in Christ. That's the idea. For we being many are one bread. We being many are one bread. Christ is us. We are Christ. Not that we, we're not Christ, but you know what I mean. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. There's a unity there. It's, it is compatible. It is wholly understood and compatible for us all to break bread around the altar of Christ because we're all followers of Christ. There is nothing incompatible with that. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar. Every, every Jewish person that partook of the altar was saying, I'm... I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this tradition. I'm a Jew. We are partaking together, surrounded by a, a single ideology, a single binding tie. What say I then? That the idol is anything or that which is sacrifice is anything? No. And he's already mentioned that in, in 1 Corinthians 8. The idol is nothing. The meat that they've dedicated to the idol is not actually tainted in a literal sense by it being sacrificed to an idol or dedicated to an idol. We have that knowledge. That's what 1 Corinthians 8 established. That's why I gave it to you first. Verse 20 though, this is important. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. So they think they're sacrificing it to Zeus. There's a devil there. They are sacrificing it to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot partake, be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful. It's okay to eat that meat. But if you... And this is what he goes on. Uh, let's read it and then we'll talk. Um, all things are, are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? The idea is this. We, that, 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 that idol has no true power. The meat is not actually tainted by the fact that it's been sacrificed to an idol. But we dare not ever put ourselves into a situation where we are consciously identifying ourselves with something that is demonic. To this extent, Paul says, if you go into the shambles, if you go into the market and you buy some meat, 
you don't have to go up to them and say, hey, is this the meat that was dedicated to Zeus before you sold it or not? You don't have to ask. Just don't ask. Enjoy the meat because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If you're bid to come to a feast and they set meat before you, don't say, was this meat offered to your God before you served? Don't, don't worry about it. Just, just, just eat it. Enjoy it. The earth is the Lord's. But if they come up to you and say, hey, here's some meat. We sacrificed it to Zeus before, beforehand. Then you say, I will have nothing to do with that. Not because now the meat is tainted, but because you don't want to mix your testimony with the devil and with God. You are not going to have anything to do with something that is associated with the devil. Openly. Because you know the devil's real and you know his power. And you know that devils are real, demons are real, and you know their power. So you're not going to openly associate yourself with it if it's demonic, if, if it's openly demonic. If you don't know, don't ask, right? But if it's openly demonic, and if people know it's demonic, then don't go near it. Stay away from it. And this is where I gave you that point that I said last week. With that principle in mind, October 31st needs to be rethought of in Christian circles and churches. It would be one thing. I mean, it's one thing with Christmas. If I dig down and I do the research... I can find the pagan roots of Christmas. But if I go to my neighbor and I say, yes, I celebrate Christmas and I'm a Christian, they're not going to associate me with demons. Right? I mean, Christmas is not a holiday associated with demons, even if there was at one point a pagan element to it, based upon days and winter solstice and whatnot. But if I, if I say Halloween, who doesn't associate it with demons? Ghosts. Witches. What are ghosts? They're not actually disembodied spirits. They're demonic entities. What are witches? <coughs> Mediums between the demonic entities and people or the people that commune with them themselves. And if that is the association of the day, then we need to rethink that. I, I, I think that's what the Bible would, would, would be. I think we, I'd be right in inferring that, in, in drawing that application, right? I think that that's, that's not a stretch for me to say. And this is why I brought up again last week music and even movies, entertainment. If you can draw a direct line between the, the reputation of entertainment or entertainer or music or, or particular song and devils, then you might want to rethink your choices as it relates to that stuff. Even apart from what might it actually be doing to your spirit when you have all this, these words coursing through your mind and, and such? What about this principle? And how does that principle play into your choices? Um, Ephesians 5, and then I'll take questions. Ephesians 5, verses 11 through 16. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things, are all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ephesians 5. Don't have fellowship with that which bears the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, it doesn't mean we can't live in the world, right? Obviously, the world is the world, right? I go buy a smartphone. It's made in the world. 
but it's not, it's not a product of the unfruitful works of darkness. If there's a company that says Beelzebub's phones, then I'm not going to buy the phone that's made by Beelzebub's phones, right? That there's probably an unfruitful works of darkness element to that. I'm going to steer clear of that one. But the idea being that, that I can still live in this world, but if something, if, if, if a person has dedicated their book to Lucifer, then I need to probably think about whether or not I'm going to listen to what they say. I want my child learning about them in school. I need to think some things about that person. If, if, if they are a, a, an extension, an outworking of the unfruitful works of darkness, what am I supposed to do with them? I'm not supposed to have fellowship with them. I'm supposed to, through a righteous life, rebuke them. I'm supposed to shine a light into that darkness. I'm not supposed to go to the gay pride parade and pat them all on the back and say, I accept you for who you are. Now, that doesn't mean I need to go there and say, and, and, and be, um, be excessively contentious and, and, and uh, abrasive with them. But I can, I was talking to a woman today in the jail about this. Her, her son is 16 years old and and uh, he, he came out as, as homosexual about a year ago. And she was asking, what do I do here because of what the Bible says about it? And I say, well, there, we need to, you need to help your son understand that there's a difference between, between rejecting a choice that he's made or not accepting a choice that he's made and rejecting him. Right? I can rebuke the unfruitful works of darkness while acknowledging that you're still a human and God loves you and, 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 and I can still interact with you. I just can't be a part of your unfruitful works of darkness. I can't be a part of it. And I'm not going to be a part of it. And I am going to, I'm going to reprove it. I'm going to say, no, this is not right. And it can't be right because it's the fruit of darkness. And I'm not going to have fellowship with that. And I'm not just going to ignore it and say, well, yeah, uh, you, you, you know, unfruitful works of darkness are the unfruitful works of darkness, but you can come have fellowship with us. No, it doesn't work that way. The unfruitful works of darkness need to be reproved. It's a shame even to speak of the things that are done of them in secret. Don't pretend that it's anything else. So make manifest by the light. Again, this is not me going and being abrasive and telling them, you're evil, you're going to hell, yada, yada, yada. We don't win a lot of people that way. But the idea of living a life of truth, acknowledging sin to be sin, acknowledging the unfruitful works of darkness to be what it is, this, this is what I, you know, I've tried to do with the music thing, right? I, I feel like I see an element of the unfruitful works of darkness, but I, I didn't come in saying, look, any of you that listen to this, 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 or this, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're toast, right? Uh, no, but let's, let's at least tell truth here. Let's give you some perspective, and then you can pray about it and make your own decisions, and then we all grow. Right? So we, we identify these things. We live in a manner that, that, is, that, that, that shows the contrast, that shows the power that, that Christ can give to bring us to the light. And then finally, that last bit there, the last command or instruction. Um, oh, yeah. So we resist the devil's accusations and temptations. We refuse any association with devils and we reprove the darkness of this world. And then finally, we rescue others. And Ephesians 5 alluded to this as well. 2 Timothy 2, 23-26. 
But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patience, in meekness, not weakness, meekness. What does that mean? Your strength is under control. It means you are directing all of your power and your ability toward helping them see through your lifestyle and through your capacity to articulate truth what is right and what is wrong. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Satan and the kingdom of Satan are duping people. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, Satan has said, God is holding you back. Do what you will. Do what feels right. If it feels good, do it. Uh, 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 this morality is holding you back. These things are holding you back. And, and, and people are caught in this snare. And it's our job to lovingly, carefully, patiently, but firmly and prayerfully call them out. If by chance God might recover them from the snare of the devil. Jude, verses 22 and 23. And if some have compassion, making a difference, that word difference means distinction. On, uh, live in such a way that people see you as distinct and want to know why. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Others rebuke in a more, uh, in a more perhaps heavy way as you see the opportunity to do so, saying, no, this is wrong. This will lead you down a path that is darkness. This is, this is satanic. This is devilish. This is, this is the unfruitful works of darkness. Some we save simply by living a difference. Some we have to be a little bit more proactive with. Okay, and then after this, I give you the brief survey. We talked about that last week. Some, we'll get there. We'll come back to that in a moment. But before we do, other th any thoughts or questions? So this is where you actually live on this stuff. You don't actually live. When we talk about all of this uh, music industry and third wave feminism and Oprah and false teachers and stuff, this is where the rubber meets the road. But where you live is in these principles that say, I, I'm going to learn the truth. I'm going to live in the truth. I'm going to fight this battle. I see it as a battle. My home is my, my, is, is, is my extension of Christ's kingdom. My home is going to be safe. My home is going to be protected. My heart is going to stay safe. My heart is going to stay protected. And I'm going to do these things because there's a battle out there that needs to be fought. And if I am on the sidelines, then people are dying and going to hell. Then people are remaining in their deceits. Then people are being confused. And here I am sitting on the sidelines while it's happening. We need to get in the fight. And then we've talked about the ways to get in the fight. So I, uh, I, I ha um, you know, the brief survey that I was going to give you here, that picture at the very beginning of the whole thing was a Baphomet picture. Baphomet um, is one of, the, uh, um, one of the, the satanic symbols, and it, it, you find it all over, particularly in the music industry. Um, upside, things that are upside down, backwards, do as thy wilt. Now, will particularly pornography, the sexual liberation movement, um, this, is, this is an extension of satanic doctrine. Do as thou wilt. Uh, um, sexual promiscuity. Looseness of sexual activity. This is a satanic doctrine. This is a, if it feels good, do it doctrine. This is that temptation. 
man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God that Jesus went through. It's the same category. A satanic doctrine that says, do what feels good to you. And now we're, we're 50 years removed from that doctrine finding its way into our culture in a big way. And now our culture is entirely run on feelings. 100% feelings. It's all about what I feel. And truth is gone. The sexual revolution is a part of that. And now we see, uh, we see it in, in uh, third wave feminism heavily, right? They all march on Washington and they're, they're wearing their hats, right? They are elevating. Uh, they, they, there's been, um, for the last two years since President Trump got into office, all of these slut walks, right? Where these women somehow protest Trump by walking topless through the streets. And, and what they're doing here is they are tearing down this thing. And what they're attempting to say is we are showing, our, our, we are, we are showing female empowerment. Well, no, no. What you're showing is that you have absolutely no regard for morality and decency. This is you not just shaking your fist at the establishment. This is you shaking your fist at everything that is truth. This is you shaking your fist at truth. This is you shaking your fist at the established truths in the Word of God of morality. This is you shaking your fist at decency. And the idea that third-way feminism has, has cropped up, that somehow um, pornography, women, uh, that, that, that women being sexually loose, uh, that women being involved in pornography, you know, they, they, they keep saying prostitutes. They try to elevate prostitutes to an honorable profession, right? And that these are, are working women. And all of this sexual perversion that has attempted to be elevated, this is, this is the... the a, a open, manifest doctrine of Satan that is now being proclaimed openly and, and proudly. This is exactly what Satan wants. This is exactly what Satan teaches. So this is what I know then. That movement is evil. I know it. It bears the unfruitful works of darkness. And it's not just because these women are walking around half naked. It's because of what that means about them. It means that they have cast off shame. It means that they have cast off decency. It means that they have cast off morality. It means they have cast off everything that the Bible says is proper and virtuous in a, in a, in a person, much less a woman. And that they are casting that off is not just casting off the man. It's casting off God. As they talk about the rejection of the patriarchy, what they're actually saying is, Reverse the roles in society. Cast off masculine headship. Cast off God's design. That's what they're doing. What is homosexuality? What is transgenderism? What is third wave feminism? All of these are saying we are forcibly, proudly, and openly casting off God's design. And if they're throwing out God's design, what are, what are they replacing it with? There's only one choice. If it's not God's design, whose design is it? If it's not God's kingdom, whose kingdom is it? Satan's. And so that's what, that, that's what we're seeing here. That's what's happening. That's actually, that's the behind the scenes th thing. That's, that's what's happening in the heavens. There's a spiritual battle going on and that's what's raging in the heavens while these people are doing these things on earth. And so we fight with truth and righteousness and prayer and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and the gospel of peace. And these are our, these are our, our, our 
This is our armor. This is how we fight. This is how we go into the battle. And we protect our families. And we make our families a haven of rest. We make our homes a haven of rest. And then we go out and again, we don't clock people over the head. But we, we fight on that spiritual plane. We live and we preach the truth. And we don't get ourselves involved in it. We stay away from it. Not because, well, that, that seems a little bit beyond my comfort zone. No, we stay away from it because it bears the fruit of darkness. Let's call it what it is. And let's call it what it is for our children's sake and for our wife's sake. Let's, well, you know, there's, there's, there's a... If, you know, if, if the people in our lives fall for these lies, don't go back to just the logical arguments for why these things are wrong. Go back to the spiritual root. If I, I, can, I, can, I can trace abortion back to demonic roots. I can trace third wave feminism to demonic roots. I can trace um, all the other things I was just saying. Homosexuality and transgenderism to demonic teaching. Like, like sa- satanic philosophy. I can trace all of those. I can trace communism to that. I can trace these things to those roots. Eugenics. I can trace it to satanic philosophy and principle. I can trace it to anti-biblical, anti-God philosophies and that's why I stay away from it. That's why I reject it. And that's why it doesn't come into my home. And come into my life. And so, I give you some, some things to think about. You know, I, I've, I wrote on here, um, you know, Oprah, uh, you can uh, tr- trace her with Joel Olstein through uh, Helen Shookman's Course of Miracles. Pretty, pretty scary stuff when you dig into that. Uh, I, I mentioned the music industry enough last week. Modern feminism, I just mentioned. Children's literature, Harry Potter. Um, you know, it's one thing to have some merging. C.S. Lewis, of course, and his Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe merged some fantasy s- spiritism elements with, with children's literature. Um, it, it's a, a loose, a very loose allegory for actual spiritual lessons. Good always prevails over evil. Um, in the last book, it gets a little difficult to read because evil is prevailing until Aslan returns and then blows everything up and wins. Right, and there's there's a Christological lesson there. C.S. Lewis was a Christian, of course, and so there's elements there. And same with Lord of the Rings. Um, Tolkien had uh, um, Christian roots. Uh, it was it's a good versus evil story, but he's using witchcraft. Those are some muddy waters where you have to make some decisions. I can't make that for you. I'm I'm wrestling with some of those myself. But when it comes to things like Harry Potter, where as I mentioned before. This woman writes these books, and, and they just take the world by storm, right? And, um, and she is using actual incantations, like real witchcraft. You can trace it. You, you, there are documentaries on it on YouTube. Look it up. Harry Potter, real witchcraft. You'll find out that she's actually, witches are saying, she's actually using the real stuff here. There was a, a, a case in Florida a couple weeks ago where girls were planning on killing people and eating them. Uh, like, like middle school girls. For, to, to, to worship Satan, we're going to, they had a plan to kill some people and then to eat their flesh. And um, after, the, after the Kavanaugh hearings, did you read about that coven of witches that was going to put a hex on Kavanaugh and it, it kind of became national news? And so we have these women, these witches these satanic people that are bubbling up to the top and it's becoming socially acceptable. 
Like it's 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 okay to read about as long as as long as he's politically against me, I don't care that witches are attempting to put a hex on on a man. Um, why is our culture getting so deeply into witchcraft? Uh, witchcraft is something that we're very open to in our culture, and it's becoming more and more so in this postmodern time. Hollywood, as I mentioned last week, the superhero phenomena itself has. Uh, some some blurred lines there, but particularly as we get to say Doctor Strange, where he is a, he's a wizard and he's doing things that are legitimate, like witchcraft stuff, astral projection and stuff. You have to make some decisions as to whether or not you want to introduce yourself and your kids to this and break down those barriers of a, a, a child looking at that and not recoiling in horror at the fact that witchcraft is being that I'm I'm watch I'm looking at witchcraft. Do I want to allow those barriers to be broken down to where I can look at, uh, at witchcraft and not be and not see the devil behind it and instead see entertainment behind it? Do I want to break down those barriers in my life? These are decisions you have to make. How far, where, where is this line of not having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness? I, I can't... Um, political monuments. They just erected a, 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 a monument, a Baphomet no, monument in Washington, D.C. that you can look through and see the, the, the Capitol building. Um, they said, hey, if we've got religious Christian monuments in D.C., why can't we have a, a satanic monument? So they put one up. And they're putting up, uh, the, uh, Satanists are putting up satanic monuments all around the country. It's one of their big pushes right now. I showed you that European Union craziness last week at that, the opening ceremony for that tunnel, right? Weird stuff. Pagan stuff. Um, look at go look at the statue in front of um, um, CERN, the you know the big uh, particle collider in was it Norway, Switzerland, wherever it is. Uh, look lo- look up the statue that is that stands in front of it. It's the Hindu god Shiva. Shiva is the god of destruction. The god of destruction is intended to destroy the world so he can rebuild it a better place. And so he goes through and he tears down the world so that he can erect it again in his image. What is the statue of Shiva doing in front of a science facility in the European Union? Strange. Strange. There's unfruitful works of darkness floating around. I'm not trying to make you a conspiracy theorist. I'm really not. What I'm saying, though, is if you open your eyes to the spiritual battle that is raging around us, you you have to see that it's there. And then you say, how do I fight the battle? And then when you start to fight the battle, you can only go to the scriptures, look to the armor of God, and, and, and gird up your loins, be a man, get into the battle, and fight it. And fight it in whatever ways you can. The resources are there. I give you those resources here, so if, if you want to take pictures of those, borrow one, you certainly can. I give you, I've given you all the names of those books on here. That documentary about music, and uh, that'll be it for our, the spirit realm discussion.